Welcome to the last Wednesday of the week, the multi-tool of sports podcasts where we bring you highlights of the week in sport, we get stuck into some deeper subjects and we take a look at what's coming in the week of sport. On this week's show, I've been abandoned by my jet-setting colleagues. Simon is somewhere around the world and Ben is also somewhere else around the world. Neither of them are here in the world with me chatting tonight. So, rather than me trying to muddle my way through the highlights of the week in sport, I thought I'd revisit a interview, uh, one I particularly enjoyed. Uh, well, they've all been glorious, and we've been lucky enough to interview a great range of people so far. Um, the interview I want to revisit tonight is um, Ian Richards, the Olympic race walker. Now, <coughs> Ian spoke to us way back in August uh, 2021 at the end of our first series and he spoke to us about his journey to Olympic race walking and everything he's done since. It's probably the interview I might refer people to the most and for the simple reason that recently we've been talking a lot about marathons and people pushing themselves and finding their limits and things like that and you know we often make excuses for not finding the time to do training or you know life gets in the way this kind of stuff and that does happen and it's normal and everyone accepts it and then we think back to the interview with Ian Richards where he talked about you know taking his gear out uh, on a night out and then running back or getting up at 5am before his family and doing his training then and you know this is just kind of the stuff it takes to become an Olympian I guess and um yeah, it was a remarkable story and not least uh, to hear of his tales of becoming, you know, Masters champions and nominated for World's Masters champion of the decade and things like that. So it was a really great interview. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so here it is again uh, in the absence of my colleagues this week. So let's revisit this interview with Ian Richards, Olympic race walker. I'm delighted uh, to be joined, or Ben and I are both delighted to be joined by Ian Richards. Uh, Ian, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's, it's a real pleasure to to be able to join you and to, and to be asked. Um, it's a, a real pri- privilege to be able to share something of my experience um, and um, hopefully that it may help others to see that they can be uh, achieve more than they think they can. Absolutely, and and I know in our pre-chat we um, we spoke through some of the things we're gonna we're gonna get into it a bit later on, but there's certainly a lot of uh, not least inspiration, but a lot of really really good stories in there as well from from your time in competition. Um, so we'll we'll come to that. Um, Ian, just before we dive into some some of the stuff, um, if you could just give us the dinner party answer to the the question, which is you know when if you're asked at a dinner party, what do you do? I've done a fuller introduction, but to, to respond, what what do you do? Oh, well, I'm uh, Ian Richards, uh, 1980 Olympian, competing in 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 Moscow in the 50-kilometer race walk. Um, I'm now 73, but I'm still competing at the very highest level in World Masters Championships, uh, European, British, and doing rather well. Excellent, and uh, yeah, the 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 amount I uh, gave in the introduction speaks to just how um, much you've pushed yourself uh, and driven to to perform still at the highest level, and the accolades prove that. Um, so let's you know, and and it's been very timely to get you on the show, and um, because of course we're in the midst of uh, what would have been Japan twenty twenty, uh, but of course there's the Olympics uh, this year, the postponed Olympics. Um, so we thought we'd start, um, Ben. Maybe you want to you want to dive in here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good time to uh, dive in. Hi, Ian. How are you going? Hi. Very well, um, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been brilliant. I mean, obviously, we've, we've missed the fans, and I think Tokyo 2020 did a wonderful job to, um, to kind of cover that and, and delivered some wonderful sport. And over the last few days, I think it's been absolutely incredible. So I'd love to know, Ian, what, um, what highlight or a couple of highlights that have really grabbed you. Um, for example, for me, I'm a massive fan of the gymnastics. It's something that I, I don't follow <clears throat> year in, year out. But every four years or five years on this occasion, I become uh, engrossed, <clears throat> you know, completely captured by it. And mm-hmm. I've been a big fan of our uh, Gardirova twins, only 16 years old and competing already um, on the highest level. I think they were both in the floor final. Uh, I think that was absolutely fantastic. And overall, a, a great uh, performance from Team GB so far. Uh, what's, what's kind of stood out for you, Ian, um, so far? I guess you've been watching a lot of the coverage. Absolutely. I think what um, stood out more than anything to me is the differences between between the sports. Um, the highlight has really been the, um, the uh, triathlon. Um, and um, uh, they, yes, they've been very successful, but I just love the fact that they are all enjoying themselves and clearly love their sport. I think it's the the Brownleys have always been uh, hi, uh, highly inspirational people. But what I love is that um, okay, they're both um, both Alistair and Johnny coming to their time at the end of the uh, Olympic event, but they're not stopping. They're going on <coughs> into Ironman and other things, which says an awful lot that they actually love their sport. And I, and I think um, what I notice more than anything else in some sports, it has become um, almost too professional and a, a job, and they've lost the joy of sport. And um, and I, th- I think there there are other, there are other ones that uh, you see, and certainly the new ones uh, are being highlighted. Um, with the uh, um, on 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 the bikes, um, all, all of those, you can just see that they, um, the competitors are all together. They're one. That community that's there, and they're, they're having the t- whether it was the Olympics or not, they are uh, having the time of their lives. And I think probably um, in these uh, these sports, you don't normally get a lot of spectators anyway. So the lack of them. Yeah, it doesn't have the same effect if you're normally competing in a big stadium. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the BMX there uh, because uh, for me that's that's been one of my highlights. You know, I've always uh, been a been a fan of sort of BMX and extreme sports, um, having watched things like the X Games growing up and stuff like that. So, you know, a bit interested in it outside of uh, as an Olympic sport. But you know, we've come away with a medal in every single event on the BMX, and um, you know, these are young people. Too, you know, the, the the females being told at one point that they weren't wouldn't be funded, um, and then yeah. you know, one had to sort of crowdfund. Uh, you know, working um, in a, in a restaurant, and the other was a teaching assistant, I think. And you know, now they've you know getting gold medals and on this world stage, and it just shows. Um, and I know we'll come to this later uh, later on in terms of like visible pathways, understanding that there is roots there is possibility um and that's been a highlight but i I think you've you hit the nail on the head there seeing the joy seeing the camaraderie seeing the togetherness of team gb and really rooting for each other 
yeah, I think that's uh, very true because um, when you look at what's happening with, um, uh, with with the rowing, the lack of success there, um, I fear um, that it's going to happen in athletics. It's not going to be a, a successful games for, for, for athletics. Mm-hmm. Yet they're two of the sports that are getting the most funding. <laughs> And um, uh, yeah. somehow or along, it's um, initially it was a big boost, but um, it's not working in the way it should be doing any, any, any longer. And yeah. um, and I think it's um, it is this it, in a way it's the pathway, the elitism. Um, it's almost making people um, uh, a little bit um, uh, how should I say um, they're a little bit. Prima donna in their normal day to day in the in these centres, um, yeah. and have forgotten. Um, if you want to win a gold in the Olympics, it's damned hard work, and you've got to put one heck of a lot of effort in, and you um, and not be spoon fed. Yeah, and, and often it's not not often uh, an individual sport. Often there's there's people it, around yes. you, and I know in your case that's varied. Sometimes it has just been you around yourself, yes. but of course you've uh, there's wider teams involved as well. Let's let's start at the beginning then, because uh, you know we talked there about some of the young uh, athletes um, coming out of jobs, self-funding, um, and and deciding to go for it. Um, let's start as your journey to being being an Olympian. Um, you know, and and certainly in our pre-chat, you, you used the term. I think you left school feeling useless at sport. I think you said, didn't you? And I think there's a, there's a really interesting story there. So maybe just speak to a bit to your. Uh, relationship with sports at the time and um, maybe that where where that ended up in in your your career in London yeah well um I had uh, an, an elder brother who seemed to be good at most sports particularly anything to do with a ball and inevitably I sort of followed on from him but was absolutely useless anywhere near a ball Okay. And uh, most of uh, of what you do in school involves a bowl of some shape yeah. <laughs> or another. And um, I had no success whatsoever. And all the th- I could show for my sporting success when I left at age 18 was a certificate for third place in a wheelbarrow race at age eight. Um, <laughs> Which um, was um, um, I I, in, I enjoyed the sport, but I, I had no aspirations um, for going yeah. absolutely any, anywhere with it. And uh, it's probably true for for many many, many ch- children that uh, they enjoy it. Um, these days, it's all around football. And um, and some of them actually um, come up for a rude awakening when they realise actually. I can't be a professional footballer and, and they get devastated. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a small percentage, isn't it? That actually make it, it through. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I believe everybody is good at, at something. Um, but just most people never, never try enough different things to find out what it is and then don't persevere at it long enough to become any good. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true with the variety. Um, so people are sort of uh, put down that sort of football hole, aren't they? Everything's a football mad. And uh, how did you then? Uh, how how did you have, how did you find out about race walking? How did you um, get onto that path, then, Ian? Well, I was very, very, very fortunate. Um, I started work up in the city city of London, working for an insurance company, and um, uh, made a number of friends there. Um, 
and um, uh, they said, well, there's this, there's this seven mile walk around the city every year that we all have, we all go in for go in for it's insurance companies versus the banks versus the stock exchange and there's usually about 300 people <laughs> some of us walk others stand on the corners handing out pints as you went past yeah. that's, that sounds like a, <laughs> a really uh, enjoyable fun <laughs> evening um so i entered and um much to my surprise um when i turned up at the start i realized it was also uh, not just a fun race but a very serious one with some of the, the best race walkers in the country there. there. <laughs> uh, one Olympic gold medalist, an Olympic silver medalist, and a load of other um, current internationals. Mm. And what I hadn't realised, that many of them worked at that time, because it was all amateur, for um, financial institutions who were much more accommodating to time off if you were representing mm. your country. And, um, and and this was part of their payback to represent their particular firm in, yeah. in this in this walk. And wow. um, I I took part, uh, enjoyed it, and much to my surprise, um, I finished out of a field of around about 300. I finished about 60th, um, seven, seven miles, which for me was, um, wow. And then how <laughs> many beers along the way? <laughs> <laughs> um, I did. I, I, I didn't. I didn't have any. <laughs> any, but uh, yeah, no. It was um, uh, once I got into it, uh, I was. Uh, I was sort of. Oh, this. This is um, something I, I, I can can do, and I can. I can. I can pass people and beat them, as opposed to always being going backwards. <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, finding out you've got a you've got a you know a skill for something, and that you enjoy something is is one thing, but. Your your step then into competing, you know, there's there's a there's a bit of a gap there, isn't there? There's a big there is a big gap. Um, I did that race for three years, and after three years, somebody I work with said to me, "You've obviously got a little bit of talent here. Have you ever thought of joining uh, a walking club?" I've got a friend who belongs to one. Um, if you want to find out a little bit more, I can introduce you to him. I said, "Oh well." Um, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And um, I got in touch with him. Um, it turned out that he was a junior international and who went on to compete in the uh, Munich Olympics. Um, but he was just so encouraging. And, um, and the fact that I felt, despite the fact I was a total novice, he said, yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to see you. And um, I turned up at the first, first event to find that um, within the club, there were two Olympic gold medalists, um, loads of um, uh, what I call losers. Um, the, the attitude is silver is first loser. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> but everybody um, tried to be the best that they could. Yeah. Um, and everybody helped each other, no matter what standard they were. So there was like a complete novice getting, getting advice for people who'd, who'd won gold medals at Olympic Games and, uh, and other things. And um, I was just absolutely hooked on it and um start so i started it and um prog- I just uh worked my way through it progressively so it's an important thread to pick up on here um because because we'll come back to this uh, a bit later on and certainly in some of your your sort of engagement work that you do now as a bit of an ambassador for, for yep. the sport and sport generally um but you know the importance of a 
having the opportunity of practicing or trying something new, which you mentioned a moment ago, but also having someone to um, advocate for you and and give you confidence to to develop and ch- be a champion for you. Yes, um, uh, it, it's uh, without that person, do you think you'd be where you are today? Um, probably. Um, I think in those initial not, not years, uh, downplaying the amount of work no, you've put in, no, but in no, terms I of that initial it, step um, up, I think it's about getting over that initial threshold. Um, yeah. with, with something like um, race walking, um, I didn't used to meet anyone. Um, we were all scattered. And everybody mm. trained virtually on their own. Some some lived in the near vicinity of each other and did training sessions together. But for the most part, everybody was training on their own. Right. And um, if you can imagine um, the first time you go out and you start race walking down your street, um, that um, it was um, it was tough. I always used to, I used to um, even running in though back in those days um, yeah. wasn't really that popular or accepted okay yeah. um so to do it walk, walking you can imagine the calls yeah and the, style, and the abuse yeah. that, that, that came that came came with it so i always used to uh, run about a mile away from home before i started walking um yeah. it took it took a long time before i would start race walking out of my front door yeah um so it, it's um i think it was that um it was that encouragement i got from others yeah. Um, that got me through that mental hurdle of doing something. It doesn't matter what they think. If you're yeah. enjoying it, this is this is wholesome. It's great fun, and when we come together, we have a great time. Amazing. So you, you're then now in a company of, of, of people, you know, c- competitors and uh, you know, medal winners uh, in in race walking. So let's skip forward a bit to Prague. Tell us, tell us about Prague because there's a wonderful story here, um, and, and it's it's the noise, the emotional story of the noise that I particularly liked about this. Story. Yeah, well, I, th- I think uh, there's a there's a, a little bit of a lead lead up to it because I progressed through um, over the years, getting a little bit better each year um but then um uh, one year um i saw there was an uh, event in in um, milton Keynes, the world race walking championships which i went to watch and um it blew, it blew me away and, and i thought you know what i'd love to do that um and um i therefore made a decision having witnessed it that i'm going to take a year and give it absolutely everything so that I can say I wasn't good enough rather than I might have if my career was going very, very successfully. And um, so I started to really go for it um, probably in about the uh, uh, December and the following the following April, April, I did a qualifying time for the 50 kilometre walk and finished second in the national championships and got selected for my first international European championships in Prague. And, um, uh, and I, 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 when I arrived, um, I, uh, being, I didn't know very much about who the other competitors were. You knew who, who, who the winners were likely to be, but looking down through the, the list of all the people that were racing and the times that they achieved, I could see, oh, I'm the slowest of them all. 
Okay. This is going to be a real a real challenge, and there was quite a quite a big difference in in terms of of the time, and um so, and I so um come the come the come come the race um. And it, it it was great because we all started in the stadium, a couple of laps of the track going out, out on the road. We finished in the stadium and uh, immediately that uh, I could have I gone with gone with the sort of the, the bulk of the field. But I, I instinctively knew um, if I go at that pace, I won't finish. Yeah. So I was sort of at the back, and um, very, very quickly, um, I, I found myself as being last person. As we got out, got out of the state stadium, the uh, the tail the tail end was um, followed by a, a policeman on a motorbike. It was a little, a little pop pop mo- motorbike. So um, he was about uh, ten yards back from me, and um, it was it was irritating because it was a reminder: you're last, you're last. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, many of many of many of the of the walkers had clearly gone off too fast and were starting starting to slow, and I was starting to pass people, and as I passed them, and they found themselves in in, in last place, I lost that I lost the motorbike. It's gone. <laughs> and, um, but uh, a couple of miles down the road, pop pop pop, it was back. Um, obviously, um, and, and, it, and it happened so many times. Wow. People just couldn't take and accept that they were the last in the race, um, and wow. dropped out. Um, so, the, and it, uh, um, it, it is it is tough when you're the best in your country, and you go and take part in in that event, and you're last. It's sort of a um, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, not particularly welcome. But I was determined to finish. Um, this, after all, might be my my last ever, my first and last international. But yeah. I wanted. Um, but for me, the the thrill of finishing and walking into the stadium um, was something that I'd uh, I'd sort of visualised so many times out in training, sure. and it was a, it was actually happening coming coming down the tu- the tunnel into a into a stadium of uh, and and um, and the crowd normally applaud walkers when they come in Brilliant. so it, it was great as you, as you went as you went round nothing else going on yeah um, oh, wonderful being 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 applauded so it was a, a wonderful experience um that i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed and um and i thought well um perhaps, perhaps i just need to try a bit harder well let's uh, uh two let years ask, away from the olympics let me ask Amazing. a bit before we sort of dive on to the olympics let me ask about the 50 kilometers. I mean, it's, it's a long old way. Um, I bringing it to 2020 at the moment, I believe Tom Bosworth, uh, put some comments only yesterday, uh, talking about they'd moved the, uh, th- this coming Friday's uh, 50 kilometer race walk, 800 kilometers North away from Tokyo yep. because of the heat. So they are very aware that it could have put some people in real danger. Um, I'm sure you've got some comment on that. I think a couple of things he said, it felt like prison up there. He was having cold slop for dinner. Um, and he's on a, a 900 meter running track. Um, what what does it take physically to deliver a fifty kilometer race walk? I'm really interested in that, Liam. Yeah, I, I think I just need to, to to correct something because the press are getting that all wrong. Okay, Tom's doing the, doing the twenty kilometer, not the fifty. Uh, apologies. Uh, uh, we've got no. It's it's it, it, it's um, it keeps getting misreported. 
um, on the television, etc. Uh, Tom's a 20 kilometer uh, <coughs> a walk as opposed to the 50. Um, um, and um, there are some that can do both, but um, the 50 is very much endurance. And um, if, if you like, um, uh, it's the walker's marathon, except that we, we go for four hours instead of two. Yeah. Um, so um, there is uh, um, walking's a technical sport as well, because um, not only have you got to c- cover the distance uh, as fast as you can, you've got to adhere to the rules. There must always be one foot on the ground. But also the much harder one in some ways is that as your foot, your, your leg strikes the ground, you come in with your heel, the, the leg must be straight and kept straight until it reaches the upright position. So in wow. other words, it acts as a break. That rule was introduced because the faster people were going so fast, the judges couldn't detect whether they were on the ground or not. So they said, how can we slow them down? Um, wow. but, um, but that puts an awful strain on the body and keeping that leg straight because it's not natural um in an over 50 kilometers as you tire it gets harder and harder to to stay with stay within within the rules so you it's it's an endurance event it's technical as well um to be able to maintain that style all the all the way through and um it's very strategic um, four hours, lots of you know, that, uh, lots of what different ways you can you can race it. You can go from the gun and just go as fast as you can and hang on. Or um, a lot of people they 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 walk fairly steadily for two hours and then just effectively race the final two hours. So it's very, um, but and and you can play with your competitors um, <laughs> ta- tactically. Um, the if you're um, style is looking a little bit ragged and a judge thinks you could you could be breaking the rule um he can if he wants show you a yellow paddle it's no more than a warning um, but you know you've got to you be on on your guard from that point on if you see somebody getting a paddle um it's a sign right i can now put pressure on him yeah Um, yeah. and and, uh, he's got to make a decision do I go risk and you put the pressure on? I should come up to a judge, and you might be able to get that break that you're wanting. You um, they do it to you, you do it to them. It's all yeah. part. It's all part of part, much part of the sport, which is why I love it. It's uh, so your training uh, doesn't just encompass endurance, uh, you know, and that kind of stuff. It's it's being able to maintain that focus and um, precision uh, and turnover, step after step. Absolutely, which um, requires that um, whereas um, runners tend to neglect um, total fitness in in, in, uh, uh, for for walking, we can't. You you have to, in actual fact, work on your flexibility, um, your Mm. your agility, uh, your core, your core strength, and your upper body because it's a it is a total uh, a total body sport. Yeah, um, I mean, we see you there in the uh, wonderful Team GB shirt. Yes, <laughs> absolutely beautiful. Um, your Prague event was uh, two years prior to to 1980 Moscow, right? Yes. Uh, so what what happened in that? How did you decide? How, how did you become an Olympian? What happened in that two years? Okay. Well, um, um, first, first of all, that um, 
the when the standard came out what was required to make the olympics it was five minutes um, my best was for four hours 18 and the standard was four hours 10 minutes so i had nearly 10 minutes that i needed to to make just to achieve the stand chiefs as a standard and um, they decided in britain there would be two trials and um, an expectation um, uh, they didn't say it but there was almost an expectation that you would have to take part in both trials right um and um so um uh, i was uh, up till that point i was self-coached and i thought i need some help here how do I achieve this? And and uh, uh, got a brilliant coach, Reg, Reg Wells, who helped me. And we sat down and we worked out. Um, we worked out what's it going to take to get selected. And um, it was quite clear that if you win both trials and you've got the qualifying mark, it will be very difficult for them not to send you. Um, um, so that's got to be what we train for. And so, so, we, so, so the time is just part of the selection, then. Hey, oh yes, I mean that. Um, uh, um, <coughs> it's like Mo, 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 Mo Farah. He, he, he. I mean, he, he, he won, but he couldn't get the time. So you've got to have the yeah. performance as well as the standard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. To, to compete, and it's exactly the same. Same in the walks. And um, what we what we agreed was it was a tall order, um, but the goal was getting to the Olympics. So, so um, I entered two races abroad, um, one, one in, the, um, in, in, in February, um, another, uh, another in, in March, where I was going to go and s- strive to get the standard. If I got the standard, then I could go into the trials much more relaxed and just focus on, on, win- on winning. And, um, but um, then, um, in the January, uh, Russia invaded Afghanistan, and all the questioners: Is there going to be an Olympics? Um, will Britain uh, send a team? Boycott, boycotts were were were, were bubbling, um, and we just didn't we didn't know. We knew that Margaret Thatcher um, believed that Britain shouldn't be represented. There, America was adamant, and other countries were following following suit. Um, but um, and it took a while before it settled. And um, at that time, the government were not funding sport at all. Um, okay. Now it was interesting because anybody who worked for the civil service, the police, um, they uh, who was was uh, potentially going said. Um, we will not give you time off to go. So they either had to leave, they had to leave their jobs or go. But what Margaret Thatcher said was, we'll leave it up to the individual sports. We will not stop you. Individual sports can decide. Athletics said, um, we will go with a team um, and leave it up to the individual to make a decision about whether or not they wanted to go. Um, But it, um, because all the funding was cut, there was no sponsorship or anything else. It was inevitably going to be a small team, yeah. um, and being a small team, um, you were not just be, um, competing against uh, people in your own event to get there. 
You had to demonstrate that you were worthy. Um, were you better, like to finish better in, the, in, in your competition than, say, a pole vaulter? Or, or a shot putter. So you had that on, on your back as well. You had to stand out. Okay. So um, what we decided, get the qualifying time and then make a big impression in the, in the trials by winning decisively. And everything was, was geared towards that. I, my first attempt uh, at getting the standard, I came down and managed uh, uh, to knock it down to four hours, 12 minutes. So I was two, two, two minutes short. Uh, wow. that, that was in, in, in Spain. Um, a month later, I went to, um, uh, to Poland. And um, there I thought, oh, my chance has gone here because it was snowing and um, uh, uh, the course was covered on, mor- on, on the morning of the race. The course was covered, covered in snow. And then the fire brigade turned up and cleared it all for us. <laughs> and we were able to to race, and um, and I did four hours seven minutes. So I, I got wow. the standard. Wow, five and, three minutes. Uh, um, I was able to go into the two uh, trial races full of confidence. Yeah. And um, thought right, um, uh, and we agree. Um, so what would it? What would really impress is if you could get close to four hours. So I uh, um, uh, I went I went for four I. I scheduled myself for four for four hours um won both races decisively um and um in, in one race um there was an australian turned up who was um uh was was would have been in, had australia uh selected him um would have gone and the two of us just shot away from the, from the field and yeah. um he dropped out leaving me on my own but i still still pushed on and both races were inside inside the standard so it was yeah. decisively enough and um when they announced the team um i was the only race walker that was was selected How wonderful. Um, for both the 20 and the 50 kilometer you you had wow. delivered did did that f- kind of um force you on give you extra impetus extra focus with the turmoil around the uh the athletics and who was going to be chosen what sports were going to go oh there was i mean during during that period it there was um um it was a, it was a tough time because public opinion was very very split um um we were advised not to talk to the media um but that was that was difficult because they kept phoning you up. Are you going? Um, and the and the and the, the the headlines and the sort of the comments that were being made. Don't you care that there are babies being killed by Russians in Afghanistan and all, all of that sort of stuff? Wow. Um, but um, most of most of us of those that decided that we would go took the view um, this is a pure political statement because nothing else is being done other than a boycott trade was continuing everything else was normal but yeah. the it was athletes this is a one chance in a lifetime for us you're not helping us in any you've got no heart um, so it's a personal decision um, keep politics out of sports and yeah. um, so uh, but you still had to uh, say don't answer this don't you care um, but um, what happened in the uh, in the Olympics itself, I felt, and, and uh, with hindsight as well, totally justified that we went. 
I mean, um, one of the things that was said um, by some of the Russians uh, to us in, in the Olympic Village, because you're in you're in a, you're in a, you're in your accommodation block, and there are the uh, people on uh, the, the Russians are looking after it. And after a while, they get to start to chat to you. And a, a remark that still sticks with me today: one of them said, "We think we understand democracy now. Your government doesn't want you to be here, but you are." Um, so we were we were we were very specially treated by the Russians there for defying our government, but it's it also made a big statement to them because that's something that's a free they understood freedom. Wow. There. Um, so that that was one thing we had lots of people asking, "Have you got any books or anything in English? We can't get hold of them. Anything that you could you you know, you, you finished all all of that. Um, even um, you know you talked about Tom Bosworth. Um, one of the uh, it was quite interesting because it was the uh, in the in the village the food hall um, to the Russians it was a banquet food they'd never seen before laid out. But the Western athletes were turning their noses up and leaving an awful lot. Wow. Okay. And they said, and then they could not understand. So why? Well, when we said, when we explain, well, to us, it's not very high standard. Um, there's something there about the Tom Bosworth uh, yeah. link about uh, about about that. Um, but um, you know, it was eye-opening for them there but um the the other the other you know that that's a, a specific memory and there's a, the third third memory which uh, um i really delight it, delight in was um and the power of sport was being woken up in the middle of the night um in the Olymp- sleeping in, in the Olympic, looking out the window because there was a commotion going on outside and there was a bunch of guards who'd laid their rifles down and they were playing frisbee with a bunch of Aussies. <laughs> and um, for me, this is what sport was. You know, it was sport. This is the start of the breakdown of communism. And, and it, so, it, so it proved, you know, wow. it, uh, those inroads of exposure um, to the West before social media and the Internet. This was a, an eye opener for, for them. Wow. So let's... Um... Uh, let's keep on that uh, element of things because there's a lot of parallels to Japan uh, Olympics this year, you know, 2020 Olympics. And, you know, you've talked about the training and the length of time, you know, the two years between uh, Prague and, and the Olympics and deciding to do, you know, these races at this time to be able to get the standard on these dates. You know, the athletes work to almost to the day don't they? Yes. Uh, in terms of um, preparing. So, of course, on the four-year cycle, they're preparing for that four years. To then not necessarily know that they're going to go, to then be told they're not going, to then be told they're going a year from now. So there's a bit of a reset. Um, you know, From your experience of um, the kind of the uncertainty, even though still going, but you, you, know, how, you could perhaps speak to how the athletes have had to what they've had to do to adjust, let alone do training in their backyards. Um, yeah, I, I think that you can um, put too much emphasis on that by thinking just about those who have been highlighted by the okay. media, because um, there are only a few who know that they are definitely good enough to get selected. I see. Okay. For everybody else, we don't know whether we're going or not. <laughs> Because we okay, may not be yeah. good enough. 
yeah, yeah. So okay. we've got that. To- you're training. You're tra- you're still training for something that may never happen for you. So um, there is um, the fact that it's, it's uh, uh, it, the event may not take place is a sort of almost a, a secondary issue. I want to be good enough. Right. <laughs> If it does go ahead, so um, for for me, um, I didn't know um, whether I uh, whether it would go ahead. Uh, but I, if it did, I wanted to be be certain that I would um, I, I could be as as good as I possibly could be, um, yeah. and uh, and trained accordingly. And it, it's something that um, um, because uh, injuries come along, there are, there are so many uncertainties about whether you're going to go or not you just yeah. have to manage that process you know there are your personal circumstances all sorts of things could crop up but yeah. do you um but you've just got to be uh, single-minded about it if you, if you you know and, and 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 keep yourself sufficiently motivated yeah i mean that's that that is the uh, olympic mentality i guess yes. is that um, a focus and desire to be the best, even if you don't get the reward of going to the Olympics, if yes. you don't get selected. Uh, we've seen, obviously, we've seen it with Wimbo Farah, you mentioned earlier in the yes. show. Uh, on Dan's point there, what, one thing that Tokyo 2020 showed me, though, that it has given some athletes a year to mature. I mentioned the Gardarova twins, it gave them the chance to get to 16 which puts them in a brilliant chance in three years' time. So yes. for some athletes, I think it's almost been a blessing, dare I say that, about COVID to give them that extra year uh, to get that first Olympics under their belt. Yep, that's absolutely right. It's in, it's uh, it's within your cycle of where you are at a particular time. An extra year's uh, preparation um, can, can work out really well for you. But equally, an extra year, you're a year older, can work the other way if you're if you're coming towards the end of your career. It may be just a, another year too uh, too far with youngsters coming through who will push who will push you out. So it works it works both ways. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, uh, and I think that um, it's one of the misfortunes of the date you were born. Do you for, do you were you born right in the in the right year for a four year cycle? Yeah, okay. it makes it makes a big difference when you when you when your best years are um, varies from sport to sport, but very few people can actually achieve attendance at, uh, and be the best at two consecutive Olympics. Yeah, there's okay. usually one where you're likely to be. It's gonna everything's gonna work out pretty perfect for you in terms of your own physical state, but also your circumstances. Because the circumstances um, uh, often get dismissed in terms of um, of life, um, uh, you know that um, fam- families, or, or career, all of those things, mm-hmm. they were much more important when we were all amateurs, when you had that to to contend contend with. And I've always recognized that in the reality is, oh, I went to the Olympics does not mean to say I was necessarily the best. Um, What it meant was I was one of those who was prepared to devote sufficient time to be the best of those who were striving to be there. I know yeah. there was an awful lot of people um, in the professions, in particular um, doctors and other things, and um, their careers were more important 
than than their sport at that time. And yeah. it's very, very interesting um, because I now compete in Masters and there are some supreme athletes there who could have actually been fantastic in their younger years, but they chose a different path. Yeah. Now, now they can um, be a, a professional athlete because they've retired. It's very, so, very different. And you see different people coming to the fore. So uh, on that then, what, what um, my question to you, you know, I think when we spoke the other week, you, know, you said the Olympics is, uh, and you alluded to it earlier with the people who you went over to Russia with, you know, feeling part of something, uh, something united. What is it that sets the Olympics apart from the other competitions, the, the European Championships and so on. What you, you Often you're competing against the same people sometimes, not all the time because of the cycle, you say the four years we've just spoken about. What is it about the Olympics that takes it to that next level of, um, of, of achievement, of, of kudos, of wanting, of drive to, and desire to get attain and be part of? Um, I think that um, the big difference is that um, yes, it's uh, a world championships, but most world championships are for your specific sport. The Olympics is everybody comes together from all sports and you all mix together. And you pick up so much that camaraderie of uh, seeing people in different events um, with that same spirit of striving to be the best that they can be. I mean, uh, great com- conversations around uh, meal, meal tables with, with people from different sports, all interested to know what, 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 what sort of training do you do? What do you do? And um, is, it, is there something that you're doing that we might be able to learn in our sport? And um, so it, it's, um, there's, there is something about it. There's, a, there's an ethos there. And over the years, because it's been, been, uh, been around for so, for so long now, it's caught the public's imagination more so than any world championship. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, and people, people actually say, oh, you're an Olympian. They're instinctively, um, you're an Olympian first and I'm a race walker second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, quite an amazing and, thing. And, and uh, um, um, the Olympians organization um, have actually, um, they've created an ethos. It's not you were an Olympian, once an Olympian, always an Olympian. Yeah. And, um, and, and they encourage everyone to, you've been really privileged to represent your country at the, uh, at the, 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 the premier sporting event in the world, you have a responsibility to share that experience with others to help them be the best that they can be and, and use what, what you've been gifted to make life better for people. So there's, um, I mean, because the drive, um, you may retire, or, but, but your inner drive doesn't go, go away. Can you use that drive in another way? I mean, it's fascinating. Um, No one's ever done it, but to research what Olympians have gone on to achieve um, after they've retired outside of sport. There are um, the the number who've climbed, climbed Mount Everest. Yeah. Um, you know, you've seen um, James Cracknell is the one that's got the publicity, rode across the, rode across the Atlantic and yeah. um, 
take taken part in, in in various obscure obscure events um but it that drive is still there and you need to harness it Absolutely. And we're going to come on to your work uh, post-Olympics. And and I think there's one more thing we want to just talk about um, because, and and I found it really interesting uh, because, you know, from a spectator's point of view, um, uh, you know, what you spoke to about the Olympics there, the not only the breadth of sports that you witness that you don't normally go out and watch or isn't normally freely available or easily available to watch, uh, but also the different sizes, shapes, heights, all sorts of different people that do these as well is remarkable to see. Um, But we also, um, you know, on this show, certainly over the last few weeks and months, I've spoke at length about the, um, the spectacle of the Olympics and the lack of crowd this year. Yeah. Um, and um, our, as spectators, perceived impact on the athletes. And um, and we found it really interesting chatting to you, Ian, a couple of weeks back, ahead of the show, uh, on your perspective of that, because it wasn't quite the same take. And that's re- I find that really interesting, because, of course, you're in a completely different zone, obviously, as an athlete. Um, but also, all the different sports have, like you alluded to earlier, varying degrees of audience anyway. But actually, as uh, someone on a track, for example, you're actually picking out different cues from the audience, aren't you? That that some are missing and some necessarily aren't. Yes, absolutely. I think that um, there there can be, um, in certain sports, an interaction with you as a competitor and the crowd, which will cause a um, a difference in in performance, particularly um, team sports in big stadiums. If you get the crowd behind you on one yeah. one team, that can make a, a significant difference to actually raise ra- you to raise your game. Um, but um, in a lot of sports where the arenas are are small, and um, it's only usually the home nation. That has the mass of spectators, unless you're a a, a super a, 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 a superstar which people back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, um, so you don't necessarily get that individual sport support from having a ha- having an audience there. Yes, yeah. you you probably get your 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 family, but they're they're there quite often anyway. Sure. At, at your your events and and your and your teammates um so yeah it's uh, it's it, it it is different and i think that uh, um a lot of the sports i mean if you take i mean today has been a great day for the sailing yeah um yeah. there isn't crowds sitting out there on the water i mean it's, it's it's the same with um uh, the, the, the cycling and um you know the tri- triathlon all of these are, are are sports that actually are not dependent on the crowd yeah. um so um yeah i mean uh, i think london was was different London okay. was was uh, probably the one of the best Olympics that there has been for involvement with spectators and the British ethos as will cheer anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the further back you yeah. are, the more cheers you get. <laughs> yeah, I think you get um, that encouragement. 
I think the uh, the, the uh, London 2012 Olympics still has a record for the most tickets sold for an Olympics. They they got people around. They packed as many spectators as as they could around anything, whether it be taekwondo yes. <laughs> or fencing or or um, I know they they put some of the armed services as well to to fill seats and make sure yes. there was noise, which is yes. a stark difference from Tokyo. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think you know that. Uh, and and again, we're all we're all individuals, and some people thrive on the showmanship of it, yeah. uh, and, and others just say, um, "I'm here to concentrate and focus on what I've got to do, and I don't want to be distracted." <laughs> well, uh, the the exact no different. Uh, um, the best example, I should say, rather, was Usain Bolt. How he managed to almost manipulate the crowd. How he managed to, yes. to draw out that energy uh, and compare that uh, very much to the Italian sprinter who um, was very relaxed and very <laughs> quiet and obviously very happy with his gold. Um, yes, but uh, very different. And I'm wondering if the crowd was there, would would he have been the same, or would he have had that Usain Bolt lap of honor, you know, shoes around the neck thing? Um, yeah, I, th- I think it would have um, um, it could could create a lot of pressure for some people. Um, I mean, uh, one of the things that I noticed and, and, and felt was I don't want to make a fool of myself. Right. Um, yeah, disqualification is part of the sport. I've been disqualified a number of times. The last thing I wanted to was I don't want to be disqualified in the Olympics. Nobody yeah. else outside the sport understands. Uh, being disqualified, you must have been cheating, uh, as opposed to a technical fault. Well, yes, and uh, so it, it, there's a um, there's a pressure that comes with it, as well in certain events. Yeah, it's a loaded term, disqualifications, isn't it? When it you is. Look at yes. Things like motorsports, it's because you've been doing something, you know, sometimes pretty naughty. But it, yes, um, like we talked to earlier, the concentration you have to have for a four hour technical event it, like yes. that. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, yeah. you saw it in the 100 metres with Zarnell Hughes, uh, yes. the, the Brit, um, you know, best chance of his career. And, and he, he just so focused on getting that early start, something that he, he doesn't have maybe against the rest of the field. Um, and yeah, chance gone in the blink of an eye. Oh, yes, yeah, definitely. So um, it's a great moment to, to hand over, really. You talked about the drive um, and also the ethos of being an Olympian now, that um, once an Olympian, always an Olympian, and what you do with that um, drive. Um, and, and, you know, we mentioned it earlier in the show, but you do a fair bit of work now around um, being being a champion of sport for others. Um, I wonder if you could speak to that a bit, and, and particularly the story around the young lad with the javelin, I think, um, yeah. highlights that really well. Yeah, I mean... Um, when I did, I, did, I, I competed for sort of two years after the Olympics because I wanted to try to get to the Commonwealth, which I, did, I didn't make, and then decided um, um, I've given enough time to sport. I've got a young family, uh, a career to build. Um, time to call it. Time to call it a day. Um, it's their time now. And I got into uh, because I had two young children. I, I got into working uh, with children initially through the Scout Movement, um, running a, running a cub pack. And um, they were uh, over the moon when they when they knew that there was going to be an Olympian as their as their cub lead, uh, <laughs> leader, and um, which uh, um, gave me the in um, to do lots of sports things with them. So um, um, as a cub, you know, we uh, I made sure that um, uh, 
we always had teams going into uh, football, cricket. Um, I'd take them down to the athletics track and so they could get their athletics badge, all that sort of thing. And um, uh, so I was putting something back in and I did that for uh, a, couple, a couple of years. Then I got involved and invited um, to uh, be, get more and more involved on running sports camps particularly um, with the Salvation Army in inner city. And, um, um, and I found them really satisfying uh, going into uh, places and working with, with sort of uh, children um, and young, young teens there. Mm-hmm. And um, particularly um, some of the disillusionment a lot of them had with life in general and um what i found found was i was looking after an athletics athletics stream and all the kids would normally um want to be um want to want to do the football choice you know what sport yeah. do you want to do and this was on offer that was that was an on offer and um um and uh, a lot of them uh you know the f- first choice was football but and those that didn't didn't know what to do. Somebody pointed them, oh, um, go and do athletics. <laughs> and right. it was um, uh, uh, one particular year, um, and it was the first time I'd come across it, came across it, uh, and um, was uh, there were two professional football clubs in the city who ran academies right down for young children. And the kids were valuing each other by the length of time they had spent in the academy before being told they weren't good enough. And these were young kids, um, 10 years old, being their, their dream was their dream job. What do you want to be when you grow up? Not a fireman or a policeman. I want to be a footballer. And somebody tells them you're not good enough at 10. And I, I found, I found that really distressing. And, um, one of the things was that I used to get a lot come along to the athletics um, who sort of walked, turned their back on football as a, as a result. And I, when, when we gathered, gathered, I always told them my story. I was useless as a kid. Uh, my wheelbarrow story. Um, Ten years later, I was taking part in the Olympics. And the wow factor, what? How did you do that? And then going on to explain that um, you've just got to find what you're good at. You're all good at something. And um, uh, I went through the whole spectrum of athletic events. And um, uh, one, partic- one particular year, um, there was this, this young, young lad who was um, on the spect- spectrum some, somewhere. And the leaders had hoped he wouldn't turn up and want to be part of it because he was always so disruptive. And it was um, not good for the other kids. Um, yeah. they, didn't wanna, they, were, they were inclusive, but it was the disruption that, that he had a habit of, of causing. He said, um, can we put him in your stream? Will you look? We, we think you're probably the best one to look after him. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> um, but uh, um, and, you probably were, though. Yeah. Well, actually, it turned out it was it was, it was spot on. Spot on. But um, when um, when we all, all all assembled and I got them all all around and I could see the reaction of the other kids when when he came along and their heads their heads drawn. Oh no! And um, one of the things that um, I I, I do initially was uh, 
teach them how to run. Because no one's ever, t- nobody teaches you how to run. You just run. And um, I had two pictures: one of Mo, uh, one of uh, Mo Farrow, and one of Usain Bolt. I just showed them the difference between the, yeah. the way that they run and they explained. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then we would, uh, uh, I'd get them sprinting and then doing more endurance. And for some reason or another, this young lad clicked. He was fascinated by the technicalities of something so simple as running. And he tried his hardest to, um, in actual fact, um, do what I was telling him. And I ran, I kept running alongside him and coaching him as, as, as we went. And he responded. And we, we right. built up a little bit of a bond between each of, each of them. He wasn't very good. And the other, the other you know, he was last until it came to the, came to the javelin. And um, I demonstrated how, um, and they use it's uh, kids' javelins off off foam, and um, so no, no, no danger or anything. They were all trying to throw it, and none of them could do it until he stepped up, and he'd listened yeah. and followed the technique, and it soared. Amazing! And the other kids just went, "Wow." <laughs> For the first time, they'd seen that there is something that he could do. And the relationship with the others changed in an instant. And for the rest of the week, they were all encouraging others. And he was included in it. And he progressed leaps and bounds there, such that he, he made the biggest improvement of any of them. And I made him my sportsman of the week. And amazing. His, um, his parents were over the moon because he'd found something and he couldn't wait to get to the, uh, the session every day. And I suggested to them, why don't you take him along to an athletics club? He's, uh, he's thoroughly enjoying this and he has got some ability here. And um, I discovered a couple of years later that they did just that. And then I heard he'd been picked to carry the Olympic torch in 2012. On one, on, on one of the legs. That's incredible. Um, so it was, um, yeah, I mean, story, stories like that. Um, I would, um, and, and just a, another one um, that uh, came to mind fa- fairly recently. Um, I was at a business meeting and somebody came up to me. You won't remember me, um, but you used to look after my, uh, my, my, young, my youngster. And um, I, ne- um, I need to have a word with you because you, do you know what he's doing now? And I thought, oh, no, what, what's happened? Um, he said, you introduced him to adventure. He's halfway around the world. On a, he's cycling around the world. Wow. And, wow. and you introduced him when you took him cli- tree climbing every Saturday morning. <laughs> and Amazing. it's sort of um, – it's reinforced that little things – make a big difference in how you impact. You only get a chance to um, walk with them for a very, very short while, and you don't know what impact that you might have on them. So give it your best whenever you come across anybody. And, um, and that's an ethos that I've, uh, I've always, always followed. And, yeah. um, and and likewise, in in terms of um, as I've as I've got older, um, uh, I've got I've felt as I've got more and more distance from children, 
um, that I, I'm not not relating. Are they listening to me? Are they listening to me? My story of somebody in their sixties, you know, it's by bygone uh, times. Uh, but what what I um, what I found is because of my success in the field of masters athletics, it's adults who are very interested. What are you doing? What's the secret? Have you discovered the secret of um, of longevity? <laughs> Um, because um, my uh, on on the the numbers, I'm I'm 73, um, but my cardiovascular system is that of a 35 year old, um, and um, there are other other elements of the body where um, yeah I'm 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 manage um, managing the age aging process extremely well. People are very. Am I a freak, or is it what I do? Mm-hmm. And I'm absolutely convinced it's what I do rather than it's necessarily inherent in me. And uh, um, and so instead of just sharing with kids, I'm now doing it with adults of all age. So I give a lot a lot of talks, pre-retirement, post-retirement, care homes, mm-hmm. um, even given a couple of talks in prison, in prisons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so we'll we'll come to the secret of longevity at the end. So make sure you stay tuned, and all will be revealed. Um, but um, let's 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 skip to that then, because um, you know, once an Olympian, always Olympian. You know, you hit your sixties, and you you got the bug again, didn't you? You want, you had a couple yes. of things you wanted to achieve, yeah. and then then the rest just just took off didn't it it, it did yeah i think a, a lot of people have a bucket list of when when they when they retire uh, they, I, I wish i'd done this when i was younger and decide to you know t- take them off um for me um there were two big ones that i wished i'd done while i was still competing um the first was to um complete a hundred mile race walk walking race uh, non non stop. Um, yeah. I'd I'd uh, the longest I'd I'd raced and won a London to Brighton and a hundred kilometre race. I'd done some long distance stuff and always um, they were a different challenge. Um, yeah. A little bit like Alistair Brownlee, who's 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 sort of lapping up the idea of doing uh, Iron Man after after his successes. <laughs> it's yeah. it, it, it's it's different. There's no expectation on you that you will necessarily just because you've you achieved it a shorter distance, you're going to be able to achieve it at a, at a higher one but you can bring that mindset um to it so um there was there was the 100 mile and the other one that had caught my imagination was the marathon de saab the the sahara desert marathon a marathon mm-hmm. a day for a week where you have to carry all that you need for the week on your back with the exception of your of, of water and a tent um right. which a tent was erected for you every night and you were supplied with water as you went, because otherwise you'd be, you couldn't manage to carry it enough. Yeah. And um, and I thought that was be beyond me. Um, and I thought that that is actually a a, a life or death experience um, in the Sahara uh, because they make no concession whatsoever to the heat. And um, the race is started at nine o'clock every mor- every morning. Uh, so you were out there in the wow. heat, mad dogs and Englishmen <laughs> in the midday <laughs> in the midday sun. So it was uh, uh, preparing for that until I I had the good fortune of meeting somebody who'd done it, but he'd not just done it. He was a rhino runner um, uh. in the <laughs> Save the Rhino campaign, and he and a small 
uh, four of them had done it as a team, and they uh, one of them had worn the rhino suit, and they kept swapping yeah. and changing like a, a, so a relay. Crazy. For those that don't know, uh, listening to this, the rhino runners, they're, these aren't like you know your average onesie that looks like a uh, uh, a rhino. These are full get-ups that are strapped on. They're big kind of, um, I don't know what they're constructed of, but they're, they're large um, costumes. Um, for all intents and purposes, look very, very good um, on... And you see them at marathons, you see them in London, in Brighton, or whatever. But to wear that uh, in an all, you know, in a UK-based race is one thing. In the desert, phenomenal. Yeah. So I mean, talking to talking <laughs> to him, I was just toted. Um, if you can do that, <laughs> I'm sure I can get round. <laughs> just yeah. because I'm 60, that's got nothing to do. With it. <laughs> um, so I, I I did I did both and. Um, uh, uh, achieve, uh, achieve, achieve them, uh, which sparked a lot of interest in, in people asking me to give a talk about it. And out of that, um, and I think it was the first time um, I was speaking to the tractor drive. Funny thing is, the tractor drivers club. And, okay. uh, and um, when they, so anybody got any questions, it was they weren't asking about the event. They were asking about how did I train. What was I doing? What was I eating? Because um, they were all suffering because of the of the work that they did, and as they aged, they could see that sort of all sorts of problems. And they were they were interested to know, and that sort of set the train off. Oh, there's a lot of people out here. I think I can help. There is sport has got so much to offer the elderly community. Because the, um, I always say we don't have a national health service. We have a national sixth service. And um, uh, if, if they've got something wrong with you, it's yeah. uh, uh, physical, um, stop doing it or operate. I mean, the number of people who have hip replacement, knee replacement, if they did the exercises that they're told to do after they've had the operation before, they probably wouldn't have needed it in the first place. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but there's an awful lot of people um, in terms of posture, other other things of that nature. If they uh, And I spend a lot of time with different groups of people now talking yeah. about and showing them, just watching them walk and explaining why they've why they've got back pain? Why they've got this pain and that pain? Why do they trip? Why do, why do they all, why do they as they get older they're always tripping over paving stones? And um, it, and you're just telling them all you've got to do is lift your toe up, you so that uh, you you hit hit the paving uh, stone with with your heel, and then your foot goes down and you're more stable. And lots of little things like that, that I've learned. Um, I'm a great believer in the accumulation of marginal gains. And uh, I've employed that um, in my own uh, sports strategy, but it equally applies with ordinary life yeah, uh, yeah. as well. And I, and, I, and I just like to share that with people. So you've talked about marginal gains, you know, it's, it's clear that, um, that you've had to apply many many marginal gains you know to to achieve what you have done in masters competition yes um you know if, you, if you'd like to speak to some of the highlights out of that because you know there are numerous um perhaps culminating some of the awards uh, and most notably uh, the recent one as well in lieu of 
um, being able to compete over the last year. But um, yeah, if you speak to what you what you've achieved there, because um, given well, all you've said so far, it, yes. You know, well, um, um, it started really after the Marathon de Sable. I, I, I sort of, I, I train, I race walk trained, and um, that got me back into my sport again. And uh, I had no um, ambitions whatsoever other than to compete, just just to take just to take part, um, participation rather than anything else. Uh, but the um, Olympian within me. <laughs> soon came to the fore of this desire to beat people <laughs> and uh, highly competitive and um, as some somebody said oh um, have you heard that there is a an international circuit that um is uh, no standards anybody can uh, can can go to and people from all around the world take take part they are great trips uh, like-minded people um uh, we've got a European Championships coming up in Hungary. Fancy going? I mean, you, you have to pay all your own expenses. And I said, "Yeah, sounds sounds fun." A week a week away with a group of athletes of uh, uh, similar outlook and mentality to myself. That could be that could be re- really fun. Um, I went and the first race, uh, five thousand meters on the track. Um, nobody knew who I was, um, and um, I just led from start to finish. And um, uh, won the gold. Uh, first time I'd ever stood on a podium and been presented with with, with a medal with the uh, national anthem play, playing. And um, uh, the journey started. What did that then, moment feel like for it you? It was. I mean, it was really. I mean, it's a, um, it was something that was um, was a dream. Obviously, when you're when you're younger and. Um, uh, use it all the time as a uh, visualization in training when you're uh, in the middle of winter uh, you're, you're trying to train mm-hmm. hard you needed something to focus on and it, it, for me it was always the olympics and the uh, and, and and the result um when you're uh, trying to um, I, I used to use lampposts or people walking can i can i get to that lamppost before that person gets reaches it who's walking normally and yeah. Um, uh, all that sort of stuff and um, so it was in my mind but it was never a realistic dream it was it was too too far ahead right. but here for the first time uh, it was wow this is just something special i'm uh, for my age i'm the best yeah. of of those who are competing um there are, i'm sure there's a lot a lot of others if they put their mind to it but mm-hmm. that then um um because we compete in five year age groups it gets harder as you get further up you get within your um five year age group so if you're at the top of your age group you're 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 competing with the kids who come in four years younger <laughs> than you and and there's this aging effect um, that's going through which started um, i started to look um, about what what others were doing who were succeeding throughout the age group um what what is it that they're doing and i started to pick up that there were those that um took their master's athletics seriously and those who really just um, they played at it really 
in, in terms of, um, which is exactly the same as all, all sport, those that really actually dedicate themselves. And uh, I had to go on, a, so I started on a journey. Okay, what have I got to do? Initially, it was, oh, well, if I train like I was when I was an Olympian, um, that would bring success. Um, mm. I started down that route, but very soon realized it, it wasn't enough. Okay. Um, training as an Olympian is not going to get is not going to do it for me because I've got to counter the aging effect, um, which just doing what I always did is important. But there are other parts of the body that are starting to weaken, and particularly when you reach retirement, it is um, incredible how inactive that you become. I could do my normal training session. And um, then I could sit around for the rest of the day, um, sit in the evening, watch television and be very inactive. Um, I got an activity tracker and I was staggered at how I could always do 10,000 steps just in my ordinary daily life without any training. But I was down to two and three thousand steps. And I realized that I need total activity. Um, um, So things like, um, I mean, I'd always... uh, use stairs, but I had to be much more intentional about being active in so much so much more. And um, also total body fitness, um, starting to do the Pilates. And um, okay. I, I also now uh, uh, am fascinated um, with the whole Asian uh, aspect of sport and life and okay. things like Tai Chi, Qigong, and 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 uh, is there something there? They believe in it. Um, there must be something. And I I now do forty minutes of qigong every morning, and I found qigong. that is qigong. Yeah, it's um it's um it's a it's it's the one that you see um, of Japan Korea. It is really big where you see great crowds of people first thing in the morning ah. wave, waving their arms about and, and, and various move, movements. Um, it was extremely big in China until Mao Zedong banned it um, because he just didn't want the big crowds coming together. That was that was uh, uh, a red flag for him, um, but he got um, he he got his scientists to actually research it. He said, "Is there anything in it physically?" And they said, "Yes." Um, so he allowed it for people to do it on their own, but not in the big big groups. And um, uh, there's more and more research is coming through about um, patterning movements, um, other, other things, um, muscle memory, and how that can help um, stave, uh, keep the brain active. Um, my first wife died um, a couple of years after the Olympics, and I, re- um, I, I, I remarried. And um, my second wife had a, a child with cerebral palsy. And he was totally incapacitated. And if you left him in a room on his own, um, he would have died. It's simple, simple as, as that. But um, they did a lot of work. And I was fascinated with the work they were doing with him to try to get to stimulate the, um, the brain. So every day he would have patterning movements done to him. And some, um, uh, some children responded and they actually... Uh, what you're doing is you're activating a different start of, part of the brain to take over the one that's not fu- functioning. 
And that is true of us adults, uh, if, if you want to try to do it. So that as you age, one part of your brain is declining, but you can stimulate other parts of the brain to take over what the other part used to do. So a lot of the movements that you do, if you can actually train your muscle memory, train your, your, your neural pathways, um, you can stay much more alert. And they found um, some research that has only come out um, in the last couple of weeks in terms of Qigong. It's a, a great one um, for staving off de dementia and, uh, and, and concentration. Yeah. Which is really important because uh, growing rates uh, around the world, uh, especially uh, with dementia there. I will ask with, you said a moment ago, the journey started. So I think it was the hungry trip, the journey started yes. at that time. So another journey, another focus, another direction. Have you always been uh, focused in whatever you did? Was Olympics was the Olympics a big part of, of of how you are now, or is that just an innate drive? You've always had that from the get go, Ian. I think it's probably an innate drive in everything that I've done. That um, I look when whatever what, uh, in all fields because I've had a very very successful career uh, as well. Um, although I didn't go to university. Um, I, I finished 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 up in some very high level positions in the city along, alongside graduate graduates and the like. And I think it's been um, I've always wanted I've striven. Okay, um, I'm I'm not naturally gifted or talented. What have I got to do to be able to do it? And what I've what I've discovered is in almost anything. The reality is there are only a few people at the top who are giving their all and have that same degree of focus. So whatever it is, I just it's my it's in my DNA to strive to be the best that I can be. Okay, so yeah, in terms of masters competitions, then you you were very you've been very successful and and you know continue to be successful. Um, but I'd like to talk about the recognition that's come from this as well on on the world stage, um, because not only have you had a sort of you know um, athlete of the year nominations, this this more recent one, um, sorry awards, but a nomination recently for athlete of the the decade, um, that's really quite some recognition, isn't it? So yes. what does that what does that mean to you? What does that say to you? Oh, it's, um, uh... oh Ian, sorry, your things. Back up a bit. There we go. Is that, is that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the um, after the uh, that that initial success, um, I started to look of what have I got to be do to move it on to the next stage to become a world champion, and I had to work out what X. Um, it wasn't just going to happen. I had to do something to make that happen. Um, and then, uh, which I duly achieved, it, it took me another five years to get to that standard where I knew that, uh, yeah, I could be, I could be challenging to be the best in, in the world. And, um, but then the, alongside that was being the best in the world, not just for the, the year you enter the age group, which is the which is the easy year, but maintaining it for the next five years. So I then had to look that how do I improve? What more can I do each year? Um, because you know you're declining, declining, aging. You are going to be declining, 
Um, just to stand still, you've got to do more or yeah. do something different. So for me, it was a combination of finding things um, that I could do. What can I do differently? What extra can I do? What can I do? How can I understand the aging process better? A lot more research and um, so that I could maintain that, uh, that performance to be a world champion each year. And um, I, I, I managed to, to, do, to do that, to find the extra things that I could do that would make a, a difference. Um, and um, having, having done, done that um, for two successive five years, being nominated in the top six athletes of the, de the decade was, was almost inevitable, you know, it was a side effect. It didn't set, I didn't set out to do yeah, that but it, it is as as a result of that and what i'm um but um uh, what, I, what i have achieved was that um in race walking um in 2019 um british european world race masters race walker of the year british and european masters athlete of the year but uh, the world i was only runner-up um, runner-up at Masters Athlete of the Year, which, yeah. um, going back to my original, uh, uh, second, second is first loser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay, what have I got to do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the journey I'm on now. What have I got to do? So I've been looking at um, history of what of some of the, the real greats who have who have achieved not just for for a couple of decades always been up there at the top and there are some incredible people up in their 90s who've just been consistent and um and some of their records still stand i mean i've got a couple of records that have, have now uh, lasted over five years world records that have lasted over five years uh, but some of theirs are so out of this world and i'm i'm saying okay what have i got to do so i've been reading their stories about some of the things that they've done and that how they've managed that aging process of, of the different things that they do. And I'm starting to say, yep, okay, um, this is my journey. And um, part of that journey was doing, um, starting on a sports and exercise science degree, degree to an actual fact, um, say, okay, science is the thing for sports. I better learn about it. Yeah, yeah I think there's, there's a few athletes that have... Um, uh, blown me away in terms of age i know there's obviously very different with the equestrian side in terms of the physicality i'm not going to yep. put their their sport down at all but yep. uh andrew hoy i believe the australians in his maybe ninth olympic stretching back yes. to barcelona in 84 perhaps um 82 yes uh you can see that there is older olympians there and and um maybe they're doing the similar things uh, to, yes. to you Ian. It, yes and I, I think it's an it, um, it's an area um, which is not well researched or known. So it makes it easier, in a way, to excel if you find something new that nobody else is doing. Um, it's uh, um, if you look at the Olympics at the moment and the difference of what different athletes uh, or any sports people are doing, they're, they're all more, there's, there's um, uh, somebody might find a little edge that's different, but most of the knowledge is pretty widespread. 
Um, When it comes to masters, it's a new area. And um, I mean, and it, uh, one of the things that has fascinated me is the uh, uh, the fact that the European Space Agency have been researching masters, because um, oh, when the astronauts go on their extremely long journeys, yeah. they know that they age very, very yeah. rapidly, and they, they suffer the uh, uh, muscle loss and all, all of that. And they're very, very, and they come to some of our Masters Championships and, and test everybody and, uh, to see and try to find out what is it that we're doing. Can they use that in the training of their astronauts um, and, and find ways that they may be able to do things up in space? So it's wow. a, it's an exciting area. Yes, I'm I'm sensing your journey now ends with or continues next rather to um, uh, solar system uh, <laughs> athlete of the year. <laughs> Eventually, um, that will one day be a possibility, no doubt. Um, Ian, um, I think uh, we've we've absolutely delighted in this conversation there's there's nothing in there that isn't inspiration to just about any demographic that listens to this um you know from your origins of being useless at sport have you still got the wheelbarrow certificate i have yes fantastic <laughs> i'm pleased about that um from that story through to the pop pop pops of prague um you know the your olympic story of course the um uh, you know your work with the young kids afterwards the javelin thrower that became an olympic torchbearer through to working with um you know older adults now and now your ongoing journey in your own domination of your craft um it is testament to uh, moving from um you know becoming good to great uh you know what is it what are those marginal gains and i love the quote i wrote it down uh, and it's one i'm going to stick above me i like these things here it's you know as things move on you have to do more do something different to stop standing still to avoid standing still or just to be standing still i think you said wasn't it yeah um which i really like so um in uh, for myself and ben thank you so much for your time is there anything else you'd like to share with us or add before we we head off no i think um you know it's been uh, uh, uh interesting i've never i've never experienced going through my whole life in, in this this way suggest to me there may be a book in there somewhere <laughs> I, I feel there would be how, how does this pressure compete to uh, an olympics <laughs> no, it, 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 it doesn't in actual fact because it is such a um uh, it's it's a privilege that i enjoy being a i mean i'm i feel so blessed and privileged um, that uh, I've been able to do these things and to be given the opportunity to be able to share it with others and in the hope that it might actually help somebody else uh, do some of the things that I've done is um, is an absolute delight. Yeah, I mean, I can say that mine and my, my brother's... Um, uh, future is is certainly not going to be in Olympic athletics, or possibly masters. Masters, I don't know. Dan, Dan enjoys a marathon, but um, it certainly will be in this in this field. And, and talking to people like yourself, Ian, um, gives us the excitement to uh, to do our best in our own field uh, going forward. And it's, it's uh, yeah, truly been a pleasure. And I think, uh, unfortunately, the title of your book's already been taken by a film called The Neverending Story, but I'm sure you find something uh, suitable. Um, uh, Once again, thank you, Ian. You're welcome. Well, if that was your first time hearing that interview, I hope you enjoyed it as much as Ben and I enjoyed chatting with Ian. And if it was your second or more run through, then I hope you found something else to take from that each time. 
We will be back next week with more of our usual sporting goodness, including talking about the Miami GP. Of course, the inaugural Miami GP with the fake water and the fake boats and the insane hype. We will be talking about that next week and much, much more as Simon joins us again. But all that's left for me to say this week is thanks for listening. I've been Dan. Be kind. Bye bye.